among all of the virtues that we experience in life, there's no question that love is the most important. The Apostle Paul even testifies to this truth in that famous passage from 1 Corinthians 13 when he says that all of the gifts of the Spirit will pass away and three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. To love someone is to value them, to validate them. Love tells us we matter and that we matter to others. But among all of the feelings that we feel in life, shame is certainly among the worst. Shame is that painful feeling of humiliation or distress that's caused by foolish or wrong or sinful behavior. As much as love can lift us to heights we might not otherwise think possible, shame can drive us to the depths of despair. When we feel shame, we can hardly tolerate it. We want to make ourselves invisible. Sometimes we even want to die. As Christians, we rightly declare that God is love. God is love. God is the source of all true love, and God emanates his love into the world that he has made. So every time we see or experience true love, we can say with certainty that God had something to do with that. But as much as God is love, and as much as God emanates love into the world, there are some things that God does not love. In fact, there are some things that God hates. Most especially, God hates sin. And why does God hate sin? Simply because sin is what separates us from God. That's why God hates sin. Sin is what keeps us from feeling the fullness of God's love. Sin is what keeps us in that dreaded state of shame. Think Adam and Eve here. Before Adam and Eve sinned, against God in the Garden of Eden, they did not know shame. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they only knew God's love and the freedom that comes from living in the light of God's love. But the moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they do? They sewed leaves together to cover their nakedness. And then they hid themselves from God among the trees of the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they separated, they separated themselves from God. And why? Because the moment they sinned, they felt shame. And yes... Yes, God allowed them to feel the weight of their shame as a judgment against their sin. But listen carefully, as much as their sense of shame was a judgment, it was also a mercy. In fact, God allows us to experience the shame of our sin. Why? 
to show us that we've actually done something wrong. Shame is what lets us know that we've broken God's heart, and shame is actually the first step that can lead us back to God. And it is in this state of shame that we meet the woman at the well in this morning's gospel story. Jesus, we learn, is tired from his journey. He takes his rest at Jacob's well, found in a field, importantly, outside of town. Being the sixth hour, the scripture says, that means it's about noon. The heat of the day is upon him, and he is thirsty. And as he is resting, a Samaritan woman comes to the well, significantly by herself, to draw water from the well. Remarkably, Jesus asks her for a drink, and as soon as he does, the cosmic battle between shame and salvation now begins. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman from Samaria, for water, she replies. For everyone knew that Jews have had a centuries-old hatred of Samaritans because they were half-breeds. But even more significantly than that, for a rabbi to, a, to speak to a woman in public would have ruined his reputation. But Jesus will neither allow cultural customs nor religious rituals to prevent him from his divine purpose. Utterly undeterred, Jesus begins to unfold his identity and his mission, and he answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And now, well, she's confused, but she's also curious. And so she continues. She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where in the world do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus steadfastly says, Whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. Or whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. Let me be clear. For the water that I will give is a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. Sir, she cries out, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or ever have to come here again to draw water. And now Jesus has her, but he's not yet finished with her. He gets to the very bottom of her well of shame. And he says to her, go and call your husband. Tell him to come here with you. Ouch, ouch, ouch. I think we can all feel from our own experience of shame what this woman must have experienced in that moment when Jesus touched her in that place. I have no husband, she says. You're right that you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you say is true. My friends, surgery's painful, isn't it? 
No one wants to have to go to the doctor. Sorry, doctors, we love you. But if we're honest, we don't like being broken either. Things don't work very well when they're broken. When I was a teenager, I worked at a grocery store. Perhaps you remember it, Texas Tea, Jewel Tea. I worked there as a stocking boy before I was a checker. And one day I was opening boxes in the back of the store. I took the box cutter and I sliced open these two fingers. Sliced them open. I lost enough blood and... Let's face it, I don't like blood. And I blacked out, hit the floor, managed to pop back up. My dad had to take me down to the hospital. It hurt like crazy. And I thought the worst was over. I'm like, I'm bleeding and, you know, the wound's starting to heal itself back up. Just let's put a couple of Band-Aids on it and go on. No. What did the doctor do? That doctor reopened the wound. He, he opened both of the cuts back up. I'm like, what are you, ow, oh, this hurts. And then he did what every child of the 70s and 80s hated. He got out his, what's it called? Thank you. And he poured it in the wound. I thought I was going to throw up. You think it's over and you think it's funny. Then he took out a needle and he stuck it in the open wound. He said, this will numb it. What? There's, there's no numbing going on here. This hurts like H-E and a bunch of hockey sticks. This is, I mean, it was painful. It was painful. And then finally, the numbing kicked in and he put the stitches in and the healing began. I hated every bit of that. But I'll tell you this, boy was I glad that he fixed my fingers. Boy was I glad that he fixed my fingers. And in the same way, my friends, spiritual surgery is painful. When Jesus speaks to our shame, we might cry. When Jesus speaks to our shame, it's only because he wants us to vomit our sin out of our soul. Do you get what I'm saying? Remember, Jesus is the great physician and he's here to heal us, not to hurt us, but it might hurt just a little bit when you're going through the process. I'm sorry to say, we're not quite to the healing part of the story yet. Notice what the woman does now. When Jesus confronts her with her sin, she does what I suspect we all do, or at least I'll speak for myself. She does what I tend to do. She ducks, she dodges, she deflects, she puts up all of her defenses. She instantly becomes a professional boxer. She tries to stroke his ego by calling him a prophet as if that's possible. 
She then says, her fathers worship God on this mountain, and you guys worship God in Jerusalem. She does everything she can, this is the point, to keep Jesus from dealing with her sin and her shame. Don't open the wound. Don't, don't pour that god-awful stuff in there. Don't stick the needle there. That's what she's doing. Aren't we just like that? Enough about me, let's talk about you. And if that doesn't work, look over here, look over there. We duck, we dodge, we deflect, and we put up our defenses. Sometimes we are so good at trying to keep Jesus from doing the one thing he wants to do, which is heal us. But Jesus will have none of it. Why? Because he loves her. Woman, he says, believe me, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is what the Father's looking for. This is what the Father wants from us, fellow Christians. He wants our spirit and he wants the truth. That's all he's after. Bubba said it this morning. We were talking as we were getting ready for Sunday morning and he said, well, you know as a parent when your kids aren't telling the truth. But you keep after them to tell you the truth. Why? Not for your benefit. You already know what the truth is. For their benefit. For their benefit. That's why you keep after them to tell the truth. See, here's the thing, and I think we know this deep down inside. We can't hide from God. But here's the good news. God doesn't want us to hide from him. Shame is a signal. Shame tells us something is wrong, but shame also tells us that God wants to make it right. You see, here's the thing. From cover to cover, the Bible tells us that God is in hot pursuit of us. He's not content to leave us in a state of sin. He doesn't want us to suffer in shame. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and when they experienced the shame of their sin, God came after them. Why? Because he loves them. This is what love looks like. And then 2,000 years ago, God came after us again and he carried our sin and he carried our shame to the cross of his own crucifixion. Why? Because he loves us. My friends, hear this please this morning. You are God's prized possession. You are the apple of his eye. You are his pearl of great Christ. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And so the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. God laid on him the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. You see, here's the thing concerning our sin and our shame. Not only does Jesus already know what's going on in our hearts and minds, but he's already there. He's already there. He's already there at the well 
of our shame to meet us in our place of sin. He's already there, and that's good news. So all we have to do, all we have to do to feel the sweet relief of shame and sin, to feel his love, his joy, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, all we have to do is tell him the truth. What a great deal. Jesus goes to the cross and dies, and all we have to do is tell him the truth, and we're forgiven, and we're freed, and we're restored to a right relationship with him. My friends, I've just about said all that I can say, and all that I can ask us to do is to try it, to try it, to try it. If you're tired of carrying around the shame of sin, try it. Tell Jesus the truth and experience the freedom of his love and his goodness and his mercy and his grace that he's just waiting to shower you with because he loves you. But I do have one more thing to say. Well, because I'm a preacher. And because I know you're dying to ask me this question. And it, and it frankly needs to be asked. The question is this, how will I know? How will I know when I'm free from this burden of sin and shame? How will I know when I'm right with Jesus Christ? Th- thank you for asking. Because here's what the Bible tells us. You'll know when you're free from sin and shame because your life will look something like the life of the woman at the well after. Your life will look something like hers after she met Jesus, after she talked to Jesus, after she went back home. You see, after she went back home, this is what she did. She told everyone about what had happened. Everyone. The whole town. And, and, and guess what? I, this was not news to them. It was probably really hard to hide the fact that she had slept with six men. But this is what she said. She said, come see a man who told me all I ever did. I'm, come on. That's incredible. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. You see, the point is that when Jesus frees us from our sin, when Jesus relieves us from our shame, our trial, our temptation, our trouble becomes our very public testimony about Jesus. And more than that, our testimony can inspire potentially a whole town to come and see for themselves who this Jesus is. That, my friends, is the power of Jesus Christ and his cross. Once it drops like a pebble into the depth of our soul, it begins to ripple across the surface for the whole world to see, and that's how you know. 
That's how you know that you're free. When your trial, when your trouble, when your temptation becomes your testimony to the goodness and the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ, that's how you know that you are free. What does he say? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So that we are able to say to ourselves and to others without fear, without regret, and without shame. Come and meet a man who told me all that I ever did. And now I know that I'm loved. And now I know that I'm loved. And I will never be thirsty again.